This is Diplomatic Pay and Clothes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Man That Corrupted Hadleyburg and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Section 23. Diplomatic Pay and Clothes. Vienna, January 5. I find in this morning's papers the statement that the government of the United States has paid to the two members of the Peace Commission entitled to receive money for their services $100,000 each for their six weeks' work in Paris. I hope that this is true. I will allow myself the satisfaction of considering that it is true, and of treating it as a thing finished and settled. It is a precedent and ought to be a welcome one to our country. A precedent always has a chance to be valuable, as well as the other way. And its best chance to be valuable, or the other way, is when it takes such a striking form as to fix a whole nation's attention upon it. If it come justified out of the discussion which will follow, it will find a career ready and waiting for it. We realize that the edifice of public justice is built of precedence from the ground upward, and we do not always realize that all the other details of our civilization are likewise built of precedence. The changes also which they undergo are due to the intrusion of new precedents, which hold their ground against opposition and keep their place. A precedent may die at birth, or it may live. It is mainly a matter of luck. If it be imitated once, it has a chance. If twice, a better chance. If three times, it is reaching a point where account must be taken of it. If four, five, or six times, it has probably come to stay, for a whole century possibly. If a town start a new bow, or a new dance, or a new temperance project, or a new kind of hat, and can get the precedent adopted in the next town, the career of that precedent is begun and it will be unsafe to bet as to where the end of its journey is going to be. It may not get this start at all, and may have no career. But, if a crown prince introduce the precedent, it will attract vast attention, and its chances for a career are so great as to amount almost to a certainty. For a long time we have been reaping damage from a couple of disastrous precedents. One is the precedent of shabby pay to public servants standing for the power and dignity of the Republic in foreign lands. The other is a precedent condemning them to exhibit themselves officially in clothes which are not only without grace or dignity, but are a pretty loud and pious rebuke to the vain and frivolous costumes worn by other officials. To our day an American ambassador's official costume remains under the reproach of these defects. At a public function in a European court, all foreign representatives except ours wear clothes which in some way distinguish them from the unofficial throng, and mark them as standing for their countries. But our representative appears in a plain black swallow-tail, which stands for neither country nor people. It has no nationality. It is found in all countries. It is as international as a nightshirt. It has no particular meaning. But our government tries to give it one. It tries to make it stand for republican simplicity, modesty, and unpretentiousness. Tries, and without doubt fails, for it is not conceivable that this loud ostentation of simplicity deceives anyone. The statue that advertises its modesty with a fig-leaf really brings its modesty under suspicion. 
worn officially our non-conforming swallow-tail is a declaration of ungracious independence in the matter of manners and is uncourteous it says to all around in rome we do not choose to do as rome does we refuse to respect your tastes and your traditions we make no sacrifices to anyone's costumes and prejudices we yield no jot to the courtesies of life we prefer our manners and intrude them here that is not the true american spirit and those clothes misrepresent us when a foreigner comes among us and trespasses against our customs and our code of manners we are offended and justly so but our government commands our ambassadors to wear abroad an official dress which is an offence against foreign manners and customers and the discredit of it falls upon the nation we did not dress our public functionaries in undistinguished raiment before franklin's time and the change would not have come if he had been in obscurity but he was such a colossal figure in the world that whatever he did of an unusual nature attracted the world's attention and became a precedent in the case of clothes the next representative after him and the next had to imitate it after that the thing was custom and custom is a petrifaction nothing but dynamite can dislodge it for a century we imagine that our queer official costumery was deliberately devised to symbolize our republican simplicity a quality which we have never possessed and are too old to acquire now if we had any use for it or any learning toward it but it is not so there was nothing deliberate about it it grew naturally and heedlessly out of the precedent set by franklin if it had been an intentional thing and based upon a principle it would not have stopped where it did we should have applied it further instead of clothing our admirals and generals for court-martial and other public functions in superb dress uniforms blazing with color and gold the government would put them in swallow-tails and white cravats and make them look like ambassadors and lackeys if i am wrong in making franklin the father of our curious official clothes it is no matter he will be able to stand it it is my opinion and i make no charge for the suggestion that whenever we appoint an ambassador or a minister we ought to confer upon him the temporary rank of admiral or general and allow him to wear the corresponding uniform at public functions in foreign countries i would recommend this for the reason that it is not consonant with the dignity of the united states of america that her representative should appear upon occasions of state in a dress which makes him glaringly conspicuous and that is what his present undertaker outfit does when it appears with its dismal smudge in the midst of the butterfly splendors of a continental court it is a most trying position for a shy man a modest man a man accustomed to being like other people he is the most striking figure present there is no hiding from the multitudinous eyes it would be funny if it were not such a cruel spectacle to see the hunted creature in his solemn sables scuffling round in that sea of vivid color like a mislaid presbyterian in perdition we are all aware that our representative's dress should not compel too much attention for anybody but an indian chief knows that that is a vulgarity i am saying these things in the interest of our national pride and dignity our representative is the flag he is the republic he is the united states of america and when these embodiments pass by we do not want them scoffed at 
we desire that people shall be obliged to concede that they are worthily clothed and politely our government is oddly inconsistent in this matter of official dress when its representative is a civilian who has not been a soldier it restricts him to the black swallow-tail and white tie but if he is a civilian who has been a soldier it allows him to wear the uniform of his former rank as an official dress when general sickles was minister to spain he always wore when on official duty the dress uniform of a major-general when general grant visited foreign courts he went handsomely and properly ablaze in the uniform of a full general and was introduced by diplomatic survivals of his own presidential administration the latter by official necessity went in the meek and lowly swallow-tail a deliciously sarcastic contrast the one dress representing the honest and honorable dignity of the nation the other the cheap hypocrisy of the republican simplicity tradition in paris our present representative can perform his official functions reputably clothed for he was an officer in the civil war in london our late ambassador was similarly situated for he also was an officer in the civil war but mr choate must represent the great republic even at official breakfasts at seven in the morning in that same old funny swallow-tail our government's notions about proprieties of costume are indeed very very odd as suggested by that last fact the swallow-tail is recognized the world over as not wearable in the daytime it is a night-dress and a night-dress only a night-shirt is not more so yet when our representative makes an official visit in the morning he is obliged by his government to go in that night-dress it makes the very cab-horses laugh the truth is that for a while during the present century and up to something short of forty years ago we had a lucid interval and dropped the republican simplicity sham and dressed our foreign representatives in a handsome and becoming official costume this was discarded by and by and the swallow-tail substituted i believe it is not now known which statesman brought about this change but we all know that stupid as he was as to diplomatic proprieties in dress he would not have sent his daughter to a state ball in a corn-shucking costume nor to a corn-shucking in a state ball costume to be harshly criticized as an ill-mannered offender against the proprieties of custom in both places and we know another thing viz that he himself would not have wounded the tastes and feelings of a family of mourners by attending a funeral in their house in a costume which was an offence against the dignities and decorum prescribed by tradition and sanctified by custom yet that man was so heedless as not to reflect that all the social customs of civilized peoples are entitled to respectful observance and that no man with a right spirit of courtesy in him ever has any disposition to transgress these customs there is still another argument for a rational diplomatic dress a business argument we are a trading nation and our representative is a business agent if he is respected esteemed and liked where he is stationed he can exercise an influence which can extend our trade and forward our prosperity a considerable number of his business activities have their field in his social relations and clothes which do not offend against local manners and customers and prejudices are a valuable part of his equipment in this matter would be if franklin had died earlier i have not done with gratis suggestions yet 
we made a great deal of valuable advance when we instituted the office of ambassador that lofty rank endows its possessor with several times as much influence consideration and effectiveness as the rank of minister bestows for the sake of the country's dignity and for the sake of her advantage commercially we should have ambassadors not ministers at the great courts of the world but not at present salaries no if we are to maintain present salaries let us make no more ambassadors and let us unmake those we have already made the great position without the means of respectably maintaining it there could be no wisdom in that a foreign representative to be valuable to his country must be on good terms with the officials of the capital and with the rest of the influential folk he must mingle with this society he cannot sit at home it is not business it butters no commercial parsnips he must attend the dinners banquets suppers balls receptions and must return these hospitalities he should return as good as he gets too for the sake of the dignity of his country and for the sake of business have we ever had a minister or an ambassador who could do this on his salary no not once from franklin's time to ours other countries understand the commercial value of properly lining the pockets of their representatives but apparently our government has not learned it england is the most successful trader of the several trading nations and she takes good care of the watchmen who keep guard in her commercial towers it has been a long time now since we needed to blush for our representatives abroad it has become custom to send our fittest we send men of distinction cultivation character our ablest our choicest our best then we cripple their efficiency through the meagerness of their pay here is a list of salaries for english and american ministers and ambassadors city paris salaries american seventeen thousand five hundred english forty five thousand berlin salary american seventeen thousand five hundred english forty thousand vienna salary american twelve thousand english forty thousand constantinople salary american ten thousand english forty thousand st petersburg salary american seventeen thousand five hundred english thirty nine thousand rome salary american twelve thousand english thirty five thousand washington salaries american blank english thirty two thousand five hundred sir julian ponsfort the english ambassador at washington has a very fine house besides at no damage to his salary english ambassadors pay no house rent they live in palaces owned by england our representatives pay house rent out of their salaries you can judge by the above figures what kind of houses the united states of america has been used to living in abroad and what sort of return entertaining she has done there is not a salary in our list which would properly house the representative receiving it and in addition pay three thousand dollars towards his family's bacon and doughnuts the strange but economical and customary fare of the american ambassador's household except on sundays when petrified boston crackers are added the ambassadors and ministers of foreign nations not only have generous salaries but their governments provide them with money wherewith to pay a considerable part of their hospitality bills i believe our government pays no hospitality bills except those incurred by the navy 
through this concession to the navy that arm is able to do us credit in foreign parts and certainly that is well and politic but why the government does not think it well and politic that our diplomats should be able to do us like credit abroad is one of those mysterious inconsistencies which have been puzzling me ever since i stopped trying to understand baseball and took up statesmanship as a pastime to return to the matter of house-rent good houses properly furnished in european capitals are not to be had at small figures consequently our foreign representatives have been accustomed to live in garrets sometimes on the roof being poor men it has been the best they could do on the salary which the government has paid them how could they adequately return the hospitality shown them it was impossible it would have exhausted the salary in three months still it was their official duty to entertain their influentials after some sort of fashion and they did the best they could with their limited purse in return for champagne they furnished lemonade in return for game they furnished ham in return for whale they furnished sardines in return for liquors they furnished condensed milk in return for the battalion of liveried and powdered flunkies they furnished the hired girl in return for the fairy wilderness of sumptuous decorations they draped the stove with the american flag in return for the orchestra they furnished zither and ballads by the family in return for the ball but they didn't return the ball except in cases where the united states lived on the roof and had room is this an exaggeration it can hardly be called that i saw nearly the equivalent of it a good many years ago a minister was trying to create influential friends for a project which might be worth ten millions a year to the agriculturists of the republic and our government had furnished him ham and lemonade to persuade the opposition with the minister did not succeed he might not have succeeded if his salary had been what it ought to have been fifty thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars a year but his chances would have been greatly improved and in any case he and his dinners and his country would not have been joked about by the hard-hearted and pitied by the compassionate any experienced drummer will testify that when you want to do business there is no economy in ham and lemonade the drummer takes his country customer to the theatre the opera the circus dines him wines him entertains him all the day and all the night in luxurious style and plays upon his human nature in all seductive ways for he knows by old experience that this is the best way to get a profitable order out of him he has this reward all governments except our own play the same policy with the same end in view and they also have their reward but ours refuses to do business by business ways and sticks to ham and lemonade this is the most expensive diet known to the diplomatic service of the world ours is the only country of first importance that pays its foreign representatives trifling salaries if we were poor we could not find great fault with these economies perhaps at least one could find a sort of plausible excuse for them but we are not poor and the excuse fails as shown above some of our important diplomatic representatives receive twelve thousand dollars others seventeen thousand five hundred dollars these salaries are all ham and lemonade and unworthy of the flag when we have a rich ambassador in london or paris he lives as the ambassador of a country like ours ought to live and it costs him one hundred thousand dollars a year to do it but why should we allow him to pay that out of his private pocket there is nothing fair about it 
and the Republic is no proper subject for any one's charity. In several cases our salaries of $12,000 should be $50,000, and all of the salaries of $17,500 ought to be $75,000 or $100,000, since we pay no representative's house rent. Our State Department realizes the mistake which we are making, and would like to rectify it, but it has not the power. When a young girl reaches eighteen, she is recognized as being a woman. She adds six inches to her skirt, she unplates her dangling braids, and balls her hair on top of her head, she stops sleeping with her little sister, and has a room to herself, and becomes in many ways a thundering expense. But she is in society now, and Papa has to stand it. There is no avoiding it. Very well. The great republic lengthened her skirts last year, balled up her hair, and entered the world's society. This means that, if she would prosper and stand fair with society, she must put aside some of her dearest and darlingest young ways and superstitions, and do as society does. Of course she can decline if she wants to, but this would be unwise. She ought to realize, now that she has come out, that this is a right and proper time to change a part of her style. She is in Rome, and it has long been granted that when one is in Rome, it is good policy to do as Rome does. To advantage Rome? No. To advantage herself. If our government has really paid representatives of ours on the Paris Commission $100,000 apiece for six weeks' work, I feel sure that it is the best cash investment the nation has made in many years, for it seems quite impossible that, with that precedent on the books, the government will be able to find excuses for continuing its diplomatic salaries at the present mean figure. P.S. Vienna, January 10. I see, by this morning's telegraphic news, that I am not to be the new ambassador here, after all. This, well, I hardly know what to say. I... Well, of course, I do not care anything about it, but it is at least a surprise. I have for many months been using my influence at Washington to get this diplomatic sea expanded into an ambassadorship, with the idea, of course, that—but never mind. Let it go. It is of no consequence. I say it calmly, for I am calm. But at the same time—however, the subject has no interest for me, and, and never had. I, I never really intended to take the place anyway. I made up my mind to it months and months ago, ne nearly a year. But now, while I am calm, I would like to say this, that so long as I shall continue to possess an American's proper pride in the honor and dignity of his country, I will not take any ambassadorship in the gift of the flag at a salary short of $75,000 a year. If I shall be charged with wanting to live beyond my country's means, I cannot help it. A country which cannot afford ambassadors' wages should be ashamed to have ambassadors. Think of the $17,500 ambassador, particularly for America. Why, it is the most ludicrous spectacle, the most inconsistent and incongruous spectacle, contrivable by even the most diseased imagination. It is a billionaire in a paper collar, a king in a breech clout, an archangel in a tin halo and, for pure sham and hypocrisy, the salary is just the match of the ambassador's official clothes, that boastful advertisement of a Republican simplicity which manifests itself at home in $50,000 salaries to insurance presidents and railway lawyers, 
and in domestic palaces whose fittings and furnishings often transcend in costly display and splendor and richness the fittings and furnishings of the palaces of the sceptred masters of europe and which has invented and exported to the old world the palace-car the sleeping-car the tram-car the electric trolley the best bicycles the best motor-cars the steam-heater the best and smartest systems of electric calls and telephonic aids to laziness and comfort the elevator the private bathroom hot and cold water on tap the palace hotel with its multifarious conveniences comforts shows and luxuries the oh the list is interminable in a word republican simplicity found europe with one shirt on her back so to speak as far as real luxuries conveniences and the comforts of life go and has clothed her to the chin with the latter we are the lavishest and showiest and most luxury-loving people on the earth and at our masthead we fly one true and honest symbol the gaudiest flag the world has ever seen oh republican simplicity there are many many humbugs in the world but none to which you need to take off your hat end of diplomatic pay and clothes and end of section twenty three of the man that corrupted hadleyburg and other stories by mark twain